This is 602 Create driver Logan Watt, and you're listening to the Four Wide Salute Podcast. back to another episode of the four wide salute podcast i'm your host casey as always starting off with one thing i missed last week i did it again i don't know why i keep doing this ultimate super late model series last saturday had a show in south carolina at lancaster motor speedway and i forgot it downtown michael brown did pick up the win down there and also on uh, another front you know, Lucas Oil Late Models Mountain Moonshine Classic that was rained out last weekend has now been rescheduled for October 8th. On to our weekly results, starting with Monday. Mohawk had a 358 modified show in which Tim Fuller got the win. Tuesday, Super Dirt, Albany Saratoga Speedway. Try number two for the Horsepower 100 was yet again rained out. Unfortunately, I don't believe that's being rescheduled for this year. World of Outlaw Sprints were at Attica Raceway Park in Ohio for the Ohio Logistics Brad Doty Classic, an awesome event that Brad Doty puts on every year, in which Spencer Baston picked up the win, his first Outlaw win. USAC Midgets were at Red Dirt Raceway in Oklahoma. And another first-time winner, Dason Persley, finally got that elusive first win. World of All Late Models were at Gondick Law Speedway in Wisconsin, and Bishop picked up win number three on the year. Wednesday, Eldora started for the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars. Joker's Wild was on Wednesday, and we saw Carson Macedo pick up the victory there. Short Track Super Series at Bloomsburg Fair Raceway. That's where I was uh, for the battle at Bloomsburg. And we saw Jeff Strunk pick up the victory after 29 laps. The yellow came out for rain. Unfortunately, they were not able to get it restarted. They called it with 21 laps to go. Strunk was your winner. And uh, it was looking like rain for quite some time up until that point. You could see it along the mountains, along the backstretch. It was ugly, nasty lightning everywhere. And unfortunately, uh, Mother Nature reared her ugly head. And the 602 crate portion of that show also unable to get started there. That is postponed. I'm not sure if there's a makeup date at this time. USAC Midgets were at Solomon Valley Raceway in Kansas. That unfortunately got rained out. Hell Tour was at Circle City Raceway in Indiana. Bobby Pierce picked up the win in the late models. And Nick Hoffman, win number 13 of 13 on the Hell Tour for him. However, his laps led streak was snapped at 290. Yes, he had led 290 consecutive feature laps up and until that point. And I believe Tyler Nicely was the one that broke that streak. Still pretty impressive. And Action Track USA in Kutztown was able to get their show in on Wednesday as well, with Briggs Danner getting the victory in the Speedsters and Colin White in the 600 Micro Division. On a Thursday, World of Outlaw Sprints, like I said, King's Royal time. So the 38th running of the King's Royal was supposed to be on Thursday. That ended up getting postponed due to rain. It was ran as a day show on Saturday leading up to the 37th Kings Royal, which I will get to in a moment. Lucas Oil Late Models at 34 Raceway in Iowa for the Transportation Solutions 50 was rained out. Hell Tour was at Thunderbird Raceway in Michigan. Ashton Winger got the win in the Late Model Division. And Nick Hoffman, 14 of 14 in the modified division broke his own single season modified nationals record for the hell tour and thursday night thunder 5,000 to win at genesee speedway up in new york matt shepherd with the victory in the modified division and max blair 
with the ULMS win. On to the weekend stuff. So, like I had said, Kings Royal time. So, Saturday they ran the 38th running of the Kings Royal during the afternoon, in which we saw King Sunshine, the 38th, as your winner. $175,000 richer for that team. Awesome to see. And at night, we ran the 37th running of the Kings Royal, in which we saw Kyle Larson wrecked it in the B main during the afternoon, was in the outhouse, and at the end of the night with a 37th Kings Royal, was now in the penthouse. So he went from the outhouse to the penthouse in one day. $175,000 richer for Kyle Larson and the Paul Silva team. Good for them. Uh, I thought it was quite impressive that Outlaws managed and Aldor worked together to get their show in uh, amongst the, the time they were allotted and the rain they got. Awesome to see them cram that stuff in there. And uh, good for anybody who was present to, to spectate and take it all in. World of Outlaw Late Models. Friday at River City Speedway in North Dakota. The one-man band, Dennis Herb Jr. with the victory there. Last night's show at I-94 Shore Step Speedway in Minnesota went to Frank Heckenast Jr. And tonight, yet, uh, in a couple of hours, we will see the rumble at the Red Cedar in Wisconsin turn into dirt vision for that. Lucas Oil Late Models, Friday show at Tri-City Speedway in Illinois, the Napa Know-How 50 rained out. They got the shitty end of the stick this year. Mother Nature does not like Lucas Oil a ton of rainouts. I hope it all turns around for them. They were able to get their 18th annual Diamond Nationals at Lucas Oil Speedway in Missouri in last night. And that one went to Superman Jonathan Davenport. Hats off to him and that sweet ring that they give out with the victory there. USAC Midgets had the Riverside Chevrolet Midwest Midget Championship presented by Weston Package Meats and Schmidt's Sanitation. Friday, at Jefferson County Speedway in Nebraska, win went to Tanner Thorson. And last night's show at Jefferson County as well went to Emerson Axum. Emerson getting the $10,000 payday there. Hell Tour Friday was supposed to be at Hartford Speedway. That was postponed. And Saturday's show in Ohio at Oakshade Raceway, Ashton Winger again in the late models. And Hunt Gossam picked up the victory in the Modifieds. And for those of you who care, no, Nick Hoffman was not in attendance. So he is still perfect. Uh, Carolina Sizzler going on down at the dirt track at Charlotte this weekend. Two-day show yesterday and today. I know they are running super late models today. I will have those results for you on next week's episode. On to our local stuff. So Friday, of course, I was at the Big Diamond. Rain came through at the towards the end of the second heat for the crates. Uh, went through pretty quick. Worked the track back in, thanks to all the push truck drivers, and uh, that were able to get that thing packed back in, and we were able to continue. It was topless night, modifieds, limited late models, and six hundred two crates with no roofs, and we also had road runners on the card. Modified victory went to Dwayne Howard. Your point leader got his first win of the year at Diamond. Andrew Yoder picked up the win in the limited late models in dominating fashion. And 12-year-old Logan Watt, my buddy, got his first big car win in the 602 crate division. Hats off to him. Hats off to the family, the team. But uh, so cool to see him and uh, how happy Leslie and Ryan were afterwards. And Ronnie Sir Jr. picked up the victory in the Roadrunner division. Williams Grove had the Outlaw Tune-Up show preparing for what's coming this weekend, which I'll get to momentarily. Freddie Raymer picked up the win in the 410s, and unfortunately the 358 portion of their show was rained out. Penn Can got rained out on Friday as well. Outlaw was rained out. Accord. So they had their program in full swing. Unfortunately, there was an injury that required the ambulance to transport someone off the property. I've seen this happen at Accord before. 
and it takes forever for them to get another ambulance on site. And as always, it's so important for a track to have an ambulance on premises, not just for insurance purposes, but for safety as well. So they postponed the remainder of their show. So the modified feature was not ran Friday. It will be made up on August 6th. Afton victory went to J.R. Hurlbert. Jesse Mueller picked up the win at Albany, Saratoga. Eric Rudolph at Ransomville. Matt Shepard made it four in a row at Utica, Rome. And Ryan Bartlett picked up the win at Can-Am. And Freedom Motorsports Park was supposed to have ESS. That got rained out. And the Modifieds were off at Brewerton. They had a huge enduro race on Friday. On to Saturday. Mother Nature won everything everywhere. Grandview canceled early, so did Bridgeport and New Egypt. Delaware International also. Then Port Royal canceled. Lincoln tried to get their show in along with Lanco. They tried to push along and get as much as they could in. Then the rain hit. They were done for. Orange County rained out. Fonda rained out. Thunder Mountain, Woodhull, Fulton, Lebanon Valley, Land of Legends, Five Mile Point, all rainouts, unfortunately. Upcoming events. So I'm going to start with the local stuff. Uh, just because it's a special show, I know that's coming up. Sealands Grove 75th anniversary. They're running 410 sprints on Tuesday, along with super late models. $5,075 to win for the 410s. Short Track Super Series North Region on Thursday at Utica, Rome for the Richie Evans Remembered 61. Super Dirt on Tuesday at Land of Legends Raceway with ESS. They're running their makeup event from the 4th of July uh, show for the Liberty 100. Hopefully they get that in. World of Outlaw Sprints Tuesday, 25000 to win at Lernerville for the Don Martin Memorial Silver Cup. And Friday and Saturday, a two-day show at Williams Grove. 10000 to win Friday, 20000 to win on Saturday for the Champion Racing Oil Summer Nationals. All-Stars get back in swing as well. Friday and Saturday, a two-day show at Lake Ozark Speedway in Missouri for the inaugural Beach Brawl. All you USAC fans out there, Indiana Sprint Week is upon us, starting with Friday at Gas City. Then they go to Kokomo on Saturday, Lawrenceburg Sunday. Off Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, they back at Terre Haute. Lincoln Park or Putnamville on Thursday. Bloomington Friday. And Tri-State or Hobstadt on Saturday. Lucas Oil Late Models. Five nights this upcoming week. Let's hope they can get these shows in all at I-80 Speedway. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is the Albelt Custom Homes I-80 Nationals. And then Friday and Saturday is the Imperial Tile Silver Dollar Nationals. Bobby Pierce just announced today he is not running the dollar Silver Dollar Nationals, which he normally does. He's going to stick around and run Hell Tour. They're running for points. Good for him. And the Hell Tour schedule, Sunday, Terra Hot, Action Track. I believe it's Modifieds only, no late models. Wednesday's show at Randolph County Raceway in Missouri has already been canceled. Then Thursday at Springfield Raceway in Missouri. Friday at Tri-City Speedway in Illinois. Saturday at Clarksville Speedway in Tennessee. And Sunday at Richmond Raceway in Kentucky. That is all of your upcoming events as well as your weekend results. Upcoming on today's episode of the podcast, we have Mr. Excitement himself, Kenny Brightbill. Kenny's, I've known Kenny through Brad. I've never gotten a really chance to watch Kenny race with the exception of Speedsters. So I always refer to Kenny as my friend's dad, not necessarily Kenny Brightbill, the race car driver. So it was an interesting conversation. I got to learn a lot more about his career and you know, it's no secret what he's accomplished and how well-known he is. But to hear it come from him is a different perspective. I hope you guys all enjoy it. Upcoming on next week's episode, I have another modified stud booked up uh, to record this week. You guys will love that one as well. Another fan favorite. As always, please like and share the podcast posts on Facebook or Twitter. 
five-star reviews on your podcast platforms. I've seen a lot of you have been contributing to that, and I highly appreciate it. Keep up uh, with getting those ratings in there. It just, it overall boosts the show and, and helps us out. Um, that's all I got for you guys today. Oh, I did want to touch on one thing I did miss. The night before the King's Royal, which was supposed to be run on Friday, ended up being run this afternoon. I waited to record this till after that was done. Carson Macedo picked up the the bookends of the King's Royal weekend, if you will, with winning the Joker's Wild and now the night before run the day after. So that's the last piece I have for you guys. But I uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode with Kenny Brightbill. Like I said, we go through a lot of its progressions from running at Reading up into the domination through the 80s and 90s, winning Super Dirt Week and, and other events as well. And as always, until next time, enjoy the show. Bill Brown & Company, located in Hamilton, New Jersey, has been in the printing and promotional products business since 1946. Current owner and proud Dirt Track supporter Ken Bruce has been with the company since 1987 and has continued to deliver the customer service that Bill Brown & Company has delivered since the beginning. Kenny supports Dirt Track Racing through the sponsorship of the Number 11 Modified, driven by Danny Heber, along with sponsorship of bonuses at Big Diamond Speedway and the Short Track Super Series, and is proud to be a sponsor of the 4 Wide Salute Podcast. You can reach Bill Brown & Company at 609-586-1408 or by email at kbruce at billbrowninc.com. You can also check out the promotional products on the website at www.billbrowninc.com. On this week's episode of the Four Wide Sleep Podcast, I have the Hall of Famer himself, Mr. Excitement, Kenny Brightbill. Kenny, how you doing tonight? Good. Good. Uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, first thing I, I wanted to bring up is I, I did my research and I, I found out the at least the story out there on the internet about why you picked number 19. Can you confirm, is it true that it came down to lying about your age to be able to race at Reading? No, it was, uh, nobody else had the number. Okay. When I, when I started on my first car, nobody else had the number, so I picked 19. Okay. And that's how old I was when I started on the car. Now, is it true, though, you had to be 21 to be able to race at Reading at the time? Get in the pitch, you were supposed to be 21, so I don't know if you had to be 21 to race or not. But <laughs> you managed to get yourself in there. So, what what drew you to wanting to race a modified? Uh, well, I started, uh, started, I went to the races as a kid when I was about eight years old, it was probably back in '56. 57 and uh, we uh, we didn't miss any races for about two years my sister took me along and then I didn't get to go till I was about 16 till I had uh, um, so I could drive and then I started hanging out on the back stretch watching the races <clears throat> never had no intentions of driving and then that's when I Wanted to see what was going on in the pits. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I was 18 or whatever, and uh, so it's, I got in the pits and then uh, started hanging around the car, Davy Marwer's car it was, and uh, then they asked me to go along and help. They were going to Nazareth to, another, to race, and then they asked me to go along there. So I went along there, and next thing you know, I'm working on the car, and then some of the guys that were helping quit. And they didn't even, the guys that owned the car didn't even have a toolbox. So I would take my toolbox in my car out to Reading and hand it over the fence. And so they had tools to work on the car. And then I was, uh, wasn't too long. Marburger was telling me to turn the, turn the wedge bolts in the car to set the handling. You know, he was telling me to put a turn in the front, take a turn out or do this, do that. And they always had trouble with the car whenever the track was when the track was wet for the heat. They always ran real good, but once it dried out, it was like didn't the car didn't want to go good at all. So I had said to the owner, 
I said, you need to change some of the springs on the back of this car so that um, the car works better. And he said, what the fuck do you know? You're just a kid. <laughs> and so I didn't know it. I really didn't know anything, but I knew you need to change something if something wasn't working. And I, uh, so it just gave me some uh, determination that I was going to show him I knew what I was talking about. I never had any intentions of ever driving a car. And uh, so next thing you know, they had a, a block there in the shop that they blew the motor up and uh, it broke the wall from two of the cylinders. And I asked what they're going to do with that. And they said, junk it. I said, can I have it? They said, yeah, just get it out of here. So I started, I had a block and then I had a, a car that had a good heads on it and stuff from a regular 57 Chevy. So then I put them heads on, the, put a motor together to run Grammy. At that time, you, had, you could only have 318 cubic inch. And that's how I got started to, you know, run a car, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, like, would you consider yourself, you know, were you a gearhead? Did you just like working on cars and stuff like that to to develop that that ability to figure out you got to change something and then they're giving you a motor and, you know, you kind of have to have some kind of insight on what to do with it, right? Well, I had motors. I, I didn't know anything about motors at the time. I was born and raised on the farm and and really didn't know anything about a motor. Uh, so where they kept the car, the guy used to do some motors for some other guys. So I used to stand behind him and watch what he did, stuff like that. And then I'd go to the store and I'd buy hot rod magazines and stuff and page through them to see if there was something I could learn. You know, whatever it was, and if I could learn something out of the magazine, I'd buy the magazine, you know. And that's how I picked up on that, and then watching him, and and uh, just kept going from there. Yeah, see, so in a sense, you really are self-taught. All the way, everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and, and we'll get to it, and that's been the, the story for your entire career, too. Um so you said you grew up on the farm is was the Brightbills donkey farm an actual thing? No. No, that was just a saying we put on the car. So where did that idea come from? Cuz that is it's very catchy and I know people that have been a fan of yours love that we haul ass donkey farm type thing. Where did that come from? Well, back in them days, they used to say, you know, if the car ran really good, they say it was hauling ass, you know. <laughs> so some guy come to the shop, and he said, hey, I got a good saying for you to put on the car, Brightville's Nunky Farm. We haul ass. We put it on there, and everybody liked it, you know. Yeah, and that was a, a staple for years and years and years. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, at what point when you started running Redding and you started – Picking up wins, did you realize that you had something special? Well, I don't know that I ever thought I had something special. We just, uh, well, the first car, the, you know, I didn't finish the other part of the story there. Okay. When, we, when I got the motor, and then I seen there was a, I read the, the racing paper came, I was got the racing paper, and I looked through there, and I seen they had a car for sale down in Birdsboro. Mm-hmm. And this guy used to run on the asphalt down in Jersey. Uh, Woody Johnson was his name. And so I went down there to look at this car, and he wanted $3,500 for this car. Well, I didn't have $5 in my name, you know, mm-hmm. back then. So I looked at the car and looked at it a lot. And then he had an old car out on this parking lot there in his garage that uh, they jumped. The frame was broke off. It was a 37 Ford Coupe. It had a front axle in it. It had the roll cage in it. And there was a seat in there. And uh, I said, how much for that one? He said, $35. So I said, well, I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I come back with a truck or a trailer. I don't even know what we came back with. And I got the frame. And then where they kept the other car and the guy used to do some motors, you know, uh, I asked him if I could 
put the car out behind this garage and the weeds were about six feet high. I asked him if I could tread the weeds down if I could put the car out there and then take rolling cables out the window because I couldn't afford to ask him to use a bay in this garage to uh, work on the car. So he said, yeah, no problem. So no problem. So another guy I'd used to ride to the races with years before that, you know, he used to, he was a welder and, and um, sheet metal guy. And so he, he would come over at nights and we'd work on the car, try to fix the frame up. He welded the frame up and stuff. And that's how we got, you know, and that ended up being my first car for the first year that I raced, you know, but so I, I ran at Reading maybe 20 times. I think only qualified one time. And, uh, but I knew I wanted to run there the next year. You know what I mean? So I ran halfway decent at Grandview. I think one of the better nights I was running third and the damn battery fell out of the car. <laughs> and uh, and then my brother had an old uh, Huckster truck, uh, like a panel van. You know, he used to use to take groceries around. And I asked him what he was going to do with that. And he said, junk. And I said, can, can I have it? So he said, yeah, just get it out of here. So that's why I cut the whole back of that thing out and then got uh, ramps and made ramps and drove the car up into there. So like when I was driving it down the road, like the the tire was in the back of the seat when I was driving and the bumper was aside of me, you know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and uh, so that was my first car. And the truck would never start half the time, so I always had to park it on the hill so I could kickstart it to because it wouldn't start with a battery. So, but you could kickstart it down the hill. So when we did go to Grandview, I always parked outside there, the pit shack there on the hill there, because I could kickstart it after, after we loaded up and go home. <laughs> oh my Lord. Wow. But at that point, I mean, you were getting done what you had to get done in order to race. Wow. That's crazy. And then, you know, I worked, I used to, I, a lot of times, you know, I had a regular job and I worked that during the day. And when I get back, I get, I had side jobs that I would do trying to make money and then work on the race car after when it got dark, you know, and that's, you know, trying to get a few dollars to try to race. Wow. That's insane. And then I race, I, like I said, I, I qualified a lot of times at Granny, but it didn't, the last race of the year is when um, I always flipped it over, and uh, we had some good tires on the car finally, and the thing really ran, and we had good tires on it. But we ended up almost flipping, well, until the next year, I went and built a whole new car. We, You know, from the ground up, I built everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Tobias, Tobias bent the roll cage, and then I took it home, built everything together, and and we started out the next year at Reading with a uh, most everybody ran a 350 or something like that there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a 350, but I don't know. We had motor trouble and broke that. And then uh, I think it was near the end of that year, um, one of my brothers signed for a loan for me to get a Chevy Big Block, because then they were going to them things, which was a crate motor from Chevy. You know, you could buy a crate motor, the whole motor for $1,100. And then you would take that and take to the machine shop, and then they would clearance it, balance it, and, you know, so you, so you could race it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you bought a, then you bought a set of injectors, and, and you were re- ready to race. Boy, but anyway, I didn't have no... Wow. I didn't have uh, I didn't have no injectors, so uh, at that time Donald Kreitz, uh he had got hurt in a midget and he wasn't running, so he lent me his injectors to run at the end of that year. And I think at the end of that year I got a fourth at Reading, and uh, so you know things just kept getting a little bit better all the time, and I kept learning. You know, out of you had to learn everything yourself. Nobody, most people never told you anything. You know, even if you ask them, they, they didn't give you no information. There was very few guys that give you any, any information. So you just had to do everything yourself and, uh, 
try to you know try to run good and then then until the next year we I got my own injectors and we started out in seventy I started in sixty eight and then that was sixty nine and then seventy uh, we came out we started running pretty strong right off the bat and I think by April April of nineteen seventy I think it was sixteenth or seventeenth I won my first race. And then almost instantly you were kind of off to the races, figure of speaking, because you started picking up wins pretty pretty regularly after that, right? Well, then that, that was in April, and then I don't know, it was around maybe June or July. Uh, the 57, the guy that owned that, um, Bill Williams was quitting the car. And, uh, well, one night we were the two dropped in after the races, and he said, he said, I'm going to tell Bob Wirtz to put you in the car. I said, well, why would you do that? You're the, you know, that's your ride. And he said, well, I'm, I'm getting, I'm retiring. He said, and I'm just uh, telling him, I think he should put you in the car. So next thing you know, I got a call from them and, uh, well, they, they were in racing probably 20 years then already, those guys. And, uh, so I ended up learning a lot from them guys, from Bob Wirtz and his crew, Sammy, Sammy Reber and them guys, and we won two more races that year in their car. Well, the first race I ran his car, we flipped it. <laughs> and um, he didn't seem too excited. All he said was, well, when Gerhardt ran for us, the first time he ran for us, he flipped the car, too. So he wasn't, uh, we just banged it, banged the body all back out and went racing again, you know. Wow. Uh, I think the next year we won six races. I'm not sure exactly, but somewhere around there. So, at what? How long were you in the '57 car then? Till 1972, and then you went back into your car, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's over really the winter, when you over the winter. I built a over the winter. I built a new built a Pino car. We had a coach and the Pino, and we started out the year with the coach, and then um, eventually during that year we went to the Pino. So back then, when you were able to do stuff like that, you know, now obviously today it's all cookie cutter stuff. But back then, when you could have a coach or you could have a Pino, what what were the differences, and why would you switch from one or the other? Well, they were going to the newer bodies because the old bodies were hard to get. Okay. Most of them ran a coupe back in them days, you know, before the new bodies came along. Mm-hmm. Most most of them ran like 37 Ford Chevy Coupe or something like that. They're Plymouth, whatever. They all looked about the same, you know, the coupes. Yeah. But um, I preferred the, the coach for the bigger roof on the car and stuff. And uh, so we're, that's we're, why we ran coaches. Yeah. So were tracks a lot different as far as rules back then. You know, like now, like I said, cookie cutter cars, a lot of tracks have different weights that you have to be or like tire stamps and all that kind of stuff. Were the rules going from different tracks back then more lenient on that kind of stuff? Well, they didn't have no real... I mean, most everybody either put a Cooper or a Coach body on there and or like when we put the Pino body on, we uh, you just put them put them on the car. The main thing, the main thing you had to have was uh, you had to have a hood on the car, and you had they had a weight limit, you know, which they they ran you over the scale. Before, I think it was before the race back then. Right. So there were some rules, but not as maybe intense as it has become. I would guess. Right. Well, everybody's, well, as the time went on, everybody got more into the aerodynamics, you know. Right. And that come about back in, I don't know, maybe the middle 80s. So going back to when Reading unfortunately closed, you know, that was your home. That was, you know, your bread and butter for quite a few years. When, you know, like, what were your thoughts when you heard it was closing down? I mean, did it was it kind of a shock at that time, or did people kind of already know that something was going to happen? Well, I, I knew I knew a little bit before it happened. It was supposed to close at the end of '78, 
and then uh, things didn't go right with the dealings, so then they opened up the track until uh, June or July of 79. Oh, okay. So Kept it was... running. And Lindy, who owned the track, thought that he could be so ready, he thought he could pick up and go to another track like in Jersey and everybody was going to follow him. Well, Berks County has all Pennsylvania Dutch people and they didn't do too much of traveling, you know what I mean? I absolutely know that. So they they didn't follow every they didn't follow him around and later on he had told me, you know, he wished he wouldn't have sold it, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. He pushed it he pushed the deal to sell it for a mall, you know, the the track there, you know. You know, it's it's crazy when you talk to people nowadays that have went to Reading. Reading's still their favorite track. After all these years, all these different tracks and the changes they've made, and to this day, people st- still say Reading was their favorite track. Was I mean, and you've raced on so many different tracks over your career. What was it about Reading that made it so special? Well, it's real wide, and you could uh, run top or bottom. Um, most of the time, you had to be either against the inside rail or the outside rail against the cushion to make any time. The middle was no man's land. You couldn't hardly. It was like ice in the middle. So you had to hunt for the wet track on the bottom or lay on the cushion to get anywhere. But it gave some good racing. In other words, like you go through the corner and the guy would like get a heady on the bottom, but coming off you had the momentum and you'd pass him. You know, there's a lot of nights like, you know, the leaders, you know, went side by side for 10, 15 laps. Oh, wow. You know. So it wasn't always a matter of once you got to the, to the leaders, you would just pass them like they were sitting still. It was actually really competitive racing all the time. The racing was like it was really good, you know. What I mean, that's right. back in back in them days, it was really good racing, you know. And that's why everybody liked it. So you know, and then plus the fact that when the races were over, we all hung out there. Well, some come up in the morning usually. Oh wow! <laughs> so so when they closed, what you know, you still wanted to race, of course. You still had a lot left to do. Um, you know. What went into your thought processes of, okay, where do I go run now? Well, we had, we had, we were traveling then already, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? We travel up to New York and different places back then already. So, you know, he just moved on other tracks. That's all. I mean, Reading was my favorite track, you know, and we, we won 135 races there. So, you know, he hated to lose it, but you know, he just moved on other places. So you just went and just hopped around on a weekly basis. You didn't necessarily go and become a track regular right away? Well, we became track regulars, but I forget exactly, you know, like if we went to Flemington every Saturday then and, right. or Bridgeport. Bridgeport was running then, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Bridgeport opened, Bridgeport opened in 72, but Bridgeport was running. Uh, so, I, you know, uh, I'm not sure if we ran... And then there for a while, Bridgeport used to run a Friday night, and different tracks in Flemington ran Saturday, and uh, I'm sure Penn National was in the picture then already, too. Um, a lot of guys would go to Penn National on a Sunday night. I'm not exactly sure where the hell we went. I can't even remember right, you know, where we went. Right. And then, then we always, you know, they had the the dirt series back then, you know, mm-hmm. and they always, they always ran on a Tuesday and Wednesday hunter lapper somewhere in New York, usually, you know what I mean? Or they toured around. So we'd leave Tuesday morning, you know, and, you know, around lunch, you know, around 12 and head up through and run a hunter lapper, say rolling wheels and then stay overnight, then go to another track, maybe at all in the Valley or Fonda or something and run Wednesday night. And sometimes we stayed over, and then sometimes we loaded up and went home. Drove home five hours, four or five hours. Wow. And they were running that stuff almost every week, too. You know, Yeah, in the summer they ran every week, yeah. That's crazy. So, it, and in 1980 is when you, as far as I can see here, is when you got your big, your first big, big win in Eastern States. 
were you going up to Middletown every year at that point to, to run Eastern States? Uh, yeah, we used to go up for a lot of the big races. And at that time, Middletown was pretty good because it was two lanes, you know, inside lane and an outside lane. And if you were working good on the, on the, on them, uh, tracks, you know, um, you could get to the front, you know what I mean? Not, we always went up for the big races at Middletown. And, those- and I'd seen, I'd seen some other place that, uh, well, I just happened to see it not too long ago. Uh, at the end of one of them years around 1980, they had, uh, 300 lappers, uh, one at Middletown, one at Flemington and one at Nazareth. And I ended up winning two of them and finished second in the other one. Wow. They had like a little point thing. Yeah. That one one weekend, one the next weekend, one the next weekend. But but uh, I finished. I won two of them and got a second in the other one. Oh wow. Do you think Do you think the long distance races are are kind of a lost art nowadays? I don't think I'm still have them. I mean, yeah, we, have, we have a couple, but not a whole lot. And I think back then there was a lot more long distance races, I would think. I mean, well, all that ran during the week were 100 lappers, you know, during the middle of the week. That was, that's what the dirt series was. Mm-hmm. All 100 lap races back then. Yeah, they still are, but it ends up being a caution fest and they only really run 40 or 45. So it's not a true 100 lapper. But I don't know. It just seems like back then there was a lot more long distance stuff than there is today. But then in 83, you won the 50 grand race at Nazareth. So I'd never been to Nazareth, just like I'd never been to Reading. What what kind of track was Nazareth? Uh, well, it used to be a mile and an eighth and then. When Lindy got together with other guys, they made it a mile track. It used to be a real long back straightaway, and it had a, a real, where they came past the grandstand, it was like the fifth corner. And then it went down into the corner, it was a real sharp turn. And then Lindy took that out and just made it one sweeping turn to the, from like we would be one and two. Interesting. And, uh, the, I actually won the first race they had there in '82, and that was paid fifteen thousand to win. And it was at the end of the year; it kept raining, and they couldn't get the race in. They couldn't get it in, and finally, one of the Sundays late—I don't even know if it was in November—they uh, finally got it in, and it was rough as hell because you know from all the rain they had for a while, and uh, we ended up winning that race. Then the next year they got their act together a little better and then he had four four five four races at least, I think it was. Um that year. And uh what happened was he was trying to keep the track wet and it would always turn out to be like a one lane on the bottom. And you know, just like follow the leader, you couldn't hardly pass or anything, you know. Right, right. So then when it come to the big race at the end of the year, the 50,000, I was, I told him, I said, listen, that ain't working out what you were doing. You need to let the track slick off all the way across and, uh, you know, lay some rubber down so we can race on it. And that's what he did. And it was like five lanes wide of four or five lanes wide of racing, good racing. You know, I mean, it like laid some rubber down and you could use the whole track. Oh, wow. And, uh, then they ran heat races on Saturday. I don't know what we did in the heat race, but, uh, after the heat races were over, they gave us like two hours to practice and we just kept coming in and going out, coming in and going out, coming in and changing some going out. And we got the car really good. And then we went home that night, worked on some more yet. And we came back that next day, and we ended up winning the fifty thousand. When we uh, um, 
in that period of time from 1980, I see I went late model racing too. Mm-hmm. So I was running late models from like, uh, I, I might have went and ran some in 79. I'm not positive because they were having big late model races that were paying 10,000 to win, which is a lot of money from back then. It's still a lot so of money. Then, then, uh, I started following a lot of that, and I was just filling in with some modified racing. Most of that meters, you know what I mean? I didn't want modified steady. And we travel all over following NDRA and then different, you know, different groups, or if there were special races someplace like Pennsboro or West Virginia or wherever. And then I ended up getting around with, um, I think it was maybe for two years with Malkin, who the bench guy builds engines I drove for him. And, uh, we were on some some decent races, you know, with him back then. Yeah, I mean, you had a good enough late model career to get yourself in the Dirt Late Model Hall of Fame, so nothing to shake a stick at. And most of that years, I was trying to race on my own and uh, didn't have any money and not no good sponsors. And... and um, I'd leave with a couple hundred dollars in my pocket and had to make money to get home. So I just, you know, just had enough so I could, you know, get the hell back home. <laughs> right. So let's fast forward now to 88. You get your, you get the elusive super dirt week win. Um, and now we're talking about the, the big body cars at that point in time. And, you know, as we get through some of your other big accomplishments here, you've seemed to go from winning in, you know, the Pinto in the 70s or the or the or the coach and now into the big body cars and later into the cookie cutter type cars. You're still managing to win a lot of big things, too. You know, was it hard transitioning from different styles like that? No, you just switch from, you know, one to the other and you adjust it or whatever, you know. But there wasn't any point in time where it was a real big difference. It was just little things here and there. Back then, look, Olsen sold a lot of cars. and I started driving when, uh, how was that? 86, I was running some, I think it was 86, I was running some late models yet. And then Blue Hen called me up and wanted me to run. And I was about the middle of the year, I think it was. Or I'm not sure if it was the N85 or 86. I'm not sure anymore. But anyway, so then I started driving for them. And they had a Kanizel car. And we we went to Syracuse and some other places, but we didn't do good at the end of the year. Then they bought a new Olsen car for the beginning of the next year. And then uh, we ran decent with it. We won some races. And then we... Um, and they had bought another new car near, right near the end of that year, 87. And, uh, we ended up taking that to Syracuse, but we didn't go real good. Not, not like I'd like to. And then I was running for them in 88. I think we ran like 105 races that year in 88. Wow. But while we were racing within the last, Five weeks before Syracuse, I built that whole car in my shop, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think before that, I had drew the frame out on the floor and uh, we, you know, I just drew it out the floor what I wanted. And then I think I had the frame pretty much, pretty much done. And then like five weeks before, we just started finishing it and still kept running three, four nights a week and did that in between and just got the car done just in time to go to Syracuse that year. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And I wanted to put stuff into the car that I thought was better, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that we were fast right off the bat with it. We went to Hagerstown and thrashed it out the week before. You know, tried to get it all straightened out. Right. Found a few few glitches here and there and that, that we got that straightened up and then we left for Syracuse and I think we had second fast times and uh, 
I think we got in a wreck in the middle of that race, around in lot 90, and come back from the back and won. Wow. And that's that's really difficult to do. Wow. That's crazy. And then, at 90, you pick off the 76er when at Grandview. Was that, at that point, would you say that was that one that was kind of alluding you that, you know, it's, at that point, the home home track you know, closest to home. Um, you know, how how good was it to win the 76er at that point? Oh, it was good money. You know, it was, was 16000 to win it then. And, well, I was running for Strickler then. Mm-hmm. And um, we had to build all them cars. I, I was but I put them together and stuff, you know. Um, one of the years it was SNS. I'm not sure. he, had, he had bought a car, and, and I started with that one. I think that was an Olsen car. And I don't know. That year we got a little lucky, too, because I think we picked the pole and led almost every lap. Oh, yeah. That's, like, draw, drawing at that race is very, very, very important. So that helped, you know. Oh, absolutely helps, especially with how deep of a field they had back then. Um, you know, drawing the pole is that's the key right there. So and then mm-hmm. in 92 and 94, you win the coal cracker. Um, you didn't really race a whole lot at Diamond up until that point, right? Yeah, we ran pretty much every Friday there with Strickler. Okay, so up, so right around that time is when you you race there on a weekly basis. Gotcha. Pretty much, yeah. There, Penn National, mm-hmm. and Susquehanna. You know, when Susquehanna opened up, we went there. Yeah, you had a lot of you had a lot of wins at Susquehanna too. And then uh, at the end of that one year, I'm not sure whether it was '92 or '93. Uh, the Big Diamond, we won that one, and then we won. That was ten thousand. We won ten thousand at Suski, and then we won the ten thousand at National. Oh wow! Same car. That's crazy. So the the one the one race I I did see that you picked up a win, and I was curious to hear about is the Outlaw Two Hundred up at Fulton. Um, had that been a race that you had ran a whole lot pre prior to ninety six? Uh, we might have hit one or two before that one. Okay. I think one of the one of the last years I was with Strickler, we went up there, and then I then I started driving for Ray in '94, I think it was, no, maybe '95, and then it was '96 that we uh, won up there. And what were the? And that was, was there a we huge running, car count we, back then? Oh yeah, they had a they had a ton of cars. Uh, we were running Windsor that at that time too mm-hmm. and we had to run their tires up there and they were a little Windsor had the big drag tires like the sprint car but they had the ones that were a step smaller so we had to run them and I think the first year I was up there I was going pretty good this is for Ray anyways I was going pretty good and uh, got spun out you know in the race and had to go all the way to the rear and then we never made it back to the front. I'm not sure. I think we might have got six or something like that out of it. But um, um, the next year when we went up with that uh, our Windsor car and uh, we actually used the dirt motor that we had at that point which, you know, was like the sportsman motor. Mm-hmm. Not the sportsman motor, but it was the small block motor that they had back then. Okay. You know, the things only made like 505 horsepower or something like that there. It didn't make a lot of horsepower. But the track was so slick, it didn't matter. You know what I mean? You were better off with less horsepower than what you were with the motor with power. You know what I mean? Right. All right. I think you could run those. A lot of the guys were running open 360s or a 350. Right? at least up there. You could run that, but we took that motor with less power and it worked really good and ended up winning it. That's that's incredible. And then, and then we had an interior car for that year for Syracuse and we went right from there to Syracuse. 
And uh, I think I sat on a pole there at Syracuse that year with that car. Oh, wow. The the Troyer car. Right. And then in the race, in the middle of uh, something happened with them. We were running good, but something happened with the motor where the they must have heat treated the lifters right in the motor and we lost a cylinder or two or something because the lifters broke because they weren't or the ball the roller on the on the roller cam you know uh they didn't heat treat the stuff right and then the motor broke wow and then from 99 till 2004 you had all top 10 finishes at super dirt week including running second to Tremont in 99. Who were you racing for at that point in time? Uh, mostly uh, tabloid, you know. With Ray. Ray Carroll. Well, we ran that same car for 10 years up there. You know, we pretty much kept that car for there. It was that Troyer car. It didn't always time good, but it drove good in the race, you know. Well, yeah. And we finished... And I, and I don't know. I think it was from seven forward almost every race in ten or ten. Yeah, that's that's an that's an incredible run against that field. Uh, you know, because at that point we're also seeing some of the young guns are starting to come up through at that point in time too. So yeah, to have a, a run like that at Super Dirt Week is is impressive. So. At what point does retirement come up for you from from running modifieds full time? At what point does taking a step back and not racing as much? When does that come into play for you? Well, it was like we couldn't get sponsors, and you know, you know, way back in the days, we you know, you always had so much help, you almost had to chase some of them away, and as as the years went on. And, you know, when I was on my own, mm-hmm. you know, after I left tabloid, I was on my own. And it was like you couldn't get nobody to help, you know, and I just got tired of being in the shop all the time myself. You could barely get anybody to help anymore. And I just got tired of that. So it wasn't I mean, really it wasn't really a decision of just retiring for the sake of retiring. It was no, just tired no. of doing it all yourself. Mostly, yeah. So then, so then, when Richie and and Doug up at Kutztown come up with this this speedster idea, what were your original thoughts of that? Well, it worked out good to do it. You know what I mean? Um, they paid good money. They paid more more money than most of the big block tracks in New York were paying at the time. Pretty sure they still do. Yeah, probably still are. Yeah, and. It, it was really good there the first you know, two, three years until they started bringing all the kids in and they were by, you know, getting wrecked trying to stay away from them, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, because the first That's couple of years it was like an all-star show. Yeah, and they had a lot of good drivers and you could race with everybody. It was just really good racing, you know, it was fun. But then as time went on there and they kept bringing in and a couple of them years, they just let put all the cars in, you know what I mean? And it was just, you know, they just ruined it is what they did. Right. Um, and uh, I just got, you know, you know, half of them didn't know where they were at on the racetrack. And I just figured out one of these days would be in the car with me, you know what I mean? Right. Being driving through me and I just figured, you know, I don't need that, or, you know. Yeah. 60 years of age, you know, 68 or so, or whatever I was at the time. So I just said, you know, it's time. So after, you know, like I said to you before, you know, you probably talked about your career so many times you can't even remember. But was there one race that you wish you would have got a chance to win at some point in time? Or do you think you accomplished enough to satisfy you? Well, I don't. I don't think it was anything that I wanted to win. That I, you know, that I didn't. I mean, we ran almost every place and we ran good. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, we were good, and that's the end of it. You know, I didn't worry about. It. 
Yeah, because I, I don't think that there's any other driver that has won Eastern States, Super Dirt Week, the 76er, the Coal Cracker, and the Outlaw 200. I don't think anybody has done that but you. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody else has. And that's that's something to definitely hang your hat on. That is. But no, that that uh I think wraps it up for for our conversation. I do appreciate your time and uh getting to shoot the shit and tell some stories. I appreciate it. All right. All right, Kenny. I'm sure I'll catch you sooner than later. Oh, yeah, we'll be around somewhere. All right, I'll talk to you later, Kenny. Thank you. Right, see you.